Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Catch up on the wall, AR-15s in the trees, SUVing or not to the Capitol. This week's hearing of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol featured riveting testimony from former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. She described a chaotic situation at the White House in the days leading up to, during, and after the insurrection, a coda for the presidency of Donald Trump that was, at turns, frantic, violent, and the case of one top aide's testimony, one of scrolling on a phone. CQ Roll Call editor-at-large John Bennett was present in the White House during so many days of Trump's term, and he joins us to discuss what he saw and heard during that time and how it comports with the sworn testimony we're hearing. John, welcome back to Political Theater. Thanks for having me. So you were our White House reporter at CQ Roll Call, and then you continued covering the White House after you left for your brief interregnum, and now you are back as the editor of the January 6th Select Committee. So you've gotten you got a front row seat during the Trump years in the White House, in the Brady Room, and and at times in the Oval. And now you are ed- an editor, you know, that that is who's one of your reporters is is there in the room on the January 6th committee hearings. What is your impression, just as someone who was there during the Trump years, like when you hear this sort of testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson, like not so much like the did did the president lunge for a steering wheel or did he lunge in general? But like in general, does this sort of does this resemble the reality that you saw unfolding in front of you for so many years? It does. Absolutely. You know, I I believe I told you offline that on Tuesday afternoon, as Miss Hutchinson was testifying and telling these stories and things that she saw and things that she was told happened, I could see it vividly. I was messaging with a couple other reporters, journalists who were who were with me in the White House during the Trump years. And they said the same thing. We could all we could all see it in our mind's eyes playing out. I can see Trump waving his hands. I, I can, I can see him reaching for the steering wheel, whether he, he grabbed it, you know, those gentlemen need to testify, in my opinion, they need to testify under oath and in public if, if they disagree or if they didn't happen. But yes, can see it, can, can hear him. There were times when I would go to, to what's called upper press. That's where the press secretary's office is. And usually the principal uh, deputy press secretary and the communications director usually uh, takes one of those offices, go up there to ask questions, you know, just get an update on something. There was more than one occasion where Trump was filming. They did a lot of, he did a lot of videos and he would, he would sometimes film those videos either in the Roosevelt room or the cabinet room. And those are to the left and kind of to the right of upper press as you're looking at it. 
it's really close. It's not a big place, the West Wing. And he would get frustrated with the lighting or the camera or they had to start over. And you could hear him screaming. And you would ask the Secret Service. And they got to know at least our faces. And you say, oh, he's in there. And they would kind of nod. And I always really pissed off, huh? They would smile and kind of nod, a knowing nod. So we heard story. We heard him yelling. He would get mad at us in, in pool sprays and, and all but yell at us. So, yeah, it, the pictures that she painted in her testimony, it's very believable. You know, we can get into some some specific stories. But interacting with the staff and the press staff, you could tell his mood by their mood. Now, that's any workplace. You know, people are going to get stressed out when the boss is stressed out, but especially Trump. And, you know, I could tell by Hogan Gidley was the principal deputy press secretary at the end of Trump's term. And I could usually tell Trump's mood by Hogan's mood. And, you know, Hogan, Hogan was pretty good at his job by the end of uh, the end of Trump's term. And I could tell when the boss was was upset about something because Hogan would be I used to call him the hummingbird. And that's not a pejorative, but he was he would dart around and and he was trying to trying to help the boss. But but, yeah, very believable what she laid out. And I do want to emphasize that, like the, you know, a lot of the testimony that she, you know, that she gave. I mean, this is there are a couple of different layers. One is what what she said somebody told her. And then others are things where she actually heard, you know, what the president said. And I I do want to just, you know, sort of emphasize what you said there, that like the White House, I mean, it has this magisterial aura, you know, because it's, you know, the seat of the the presidency and you you walk outside of it, you know, in the the park and the the surrounding area. And it just looks it occupies this piece of real estate that is just sort of fabulous. And it's it's larger than life. But you get inside the building and it's it's a relatively small mansion. That's right. It's just a really old house that they built, you know, a new wing, literally the West Wing. And it's really old itself. And the the floors creak. And, you know, they do they are always working on that building. That's one thing when when I got on the White House beat and uh, at the time, President Obama, the first time he went on vacation, I noticed, well, they're doing a lot of work here. And then he went on a, a overseas trip in the fall. And as soon as he left, they're doing work on the building, the interior. The intelligence agencies are always updating all the super secret communications, wiring and, and everything in there. So, yeah, it's 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 not a place where you can hide. And it's not a place even a president has a hard time hiding. As we found out from her testimony, you know, he was in the dining room off the Oval Office, and she just went to look for her boss, Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, former Republican congressman from my home state of North Carolina. She just went to look for her boss because his best buddy, Jim Jordan, was on the phone. And even Congressman Jordan was was getting worried about, you know, the rioters were, were heading, in, they were heading into the building, and of course, they got to the House chamber. So, you know, the president was upset, and, and she just went to ask if her boss was 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 in the dining room and she could hear she could hear the president yelling and and of course uh, allegedly throwing his small bowl of ketchup at the wall and you know we heard stories when I was on the beat and, and when Trump was president we heard stories about him throwing things uh, pens pads um, his diet coke cans we we heard rumors that he would get mad and have a, a half 
consumed can of Diet Coke his seventh or eighth of the day, probably, and and would throw it in the oval, especially the dining room. We did hear stories that that he would get mad during lunch. Of course, he had multiple televisions installed in the dining room so he could hate watch cable news and get mad about how he was being covered and perceived. And we heard a lot of stories about that dining room and, and him getting mad uh, during his lunch. Again, I, I want to emphasize that we're, we're less, you know, kind of, you know, deconstructing the hearing here and, and what you said. I mean, like that's been done a million times, but I think that what I wanted to get from you is, is exactly this, that the White House is a small place. It is not it is really not an imperial area where, you know, I mean, obviously places like the Situation Room are very secure and, you know, something that happened in there would not be something that, you know, you could overhear outside in the hallway. But in the, in these areas that you're talking about, like, the, you know, around the Brady Room, which as, you know, appropriately enough, as you said, is is undergoing some, some uh, the workspace around the Brady Room for the press is undergoing some renovations because the president's out of town. Uh, Joe Biden is, is uh is in Europe currently and, and heading back uh, to the United States. And so while the boss is out, the rewiring takes place. But I just wanted to, you know, kind of communicate to our listeners that this is this is one of those places where somebody like Hutchinson, who, you know, is an aide to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, would be in a position to overhear things and be in there much, much like you were. I mean, I remember if you recall this one time that you were in pool duty, I mean, as, as you frequently were, you know, as, as part of the White House pool, the print pool. And the interactions, I mean, like the, the how close you get to the president is almost sort of jarring sometimes. Uh, talk about some of those interactions where you you actually had eye contact and like had like these little sort of moments with the president, you know, himself. Sure. Uh, two come to mind. Uh, the first, um, not maybe not my finest moment as a reporter or a pooler. There was a movement, uh, an extra movement added. Prime Minister Moon or President Moon from South Korea was visiting the White House. And the day's regular pool needed to move from the South Lawn. I believe they were going straight to a pool spray in the Roosevelt Room. Trump wanted to take a picture with Moon outside the Oval Office. So they organized, the Correspondents Association organized a supplemental pool. And I got drafted to be the print pooler. I was the only reporter in the Rose Garden. It was me, a couple video photogs and, and still photographers. And... I didn't. I, I guess I just didn't know the protocol for a picture like that. I'd never pulled one of those. And Trump and Moon walk the colonnade. They turn the corner. They come to the, the famous those steps right off the Oval Office where presidents frequently give remarks and do press conferences. Back when presidents did press conferences, and we just had one today though. Um, but anyway, that's another story. In, in uh, Europe, and, sure. <laughs> yeah, but back when presidents did press conferences on U.S. soil. Anyway. <laughs> So, so Trump and Boone stop at the, they stop at the, the top of the stairs and you get the first blast of still shutter sounds. And I blurt out a question, Mr. President, it was something about Iran. I don't even remember. And he turned and looked me, he, and he could have looked a hole through me. And he just said, stop. And he said, stop about two times. And I just nodded and put my hand up like, okay. And then they took another round of pictures and, and they walk into the oval. And as they're, they're rounding the corner in the oval, he shoots me the dirtiest look. And I asked the question again and he shook his head and just smiled like, oh, well, not now. I'm not going to answer your question now. And it was a couple of days later. I had regular pool duty. 
this is the other the other occasion that comes to mind. You know, he had his favorites, and for good reason. Steve Holland from Reuters is a great reporter. He's been doing it, you know, for a long time. Steve, he saw Steve as a peer, so he would always call on Steve. Well, I wanted to get my question about Iran was, um, and this is when when Trump was rattling the saber pretty hard. And my question for Trump was, if you get into some kind of protracted war with Iran, maybe you have to put U.S. troops on Iranian soil. You know, what's your exit strategy? So I had a speaking of strategy. The rest of the print reporters, including Steve Holland, I think Peter Alexander was in there from NBC. They set up to the left of the Resolute desk, I went dead center field on Trump. And I was the only reporter over there. And he saw me over there, and I think he knew what I was up to. So he got mad at at the other reporters. Someone asked him something he didn't like. And he happened, as as he frequently does, kind of shaking his head off into space, and we locked eyes. And he pointed at me, and I asked him, sir, you know, what's your exit strategy? And I'll never forget... He has this very intense gaze and I got it again. And he said, I don't do exit strategies. And I said, well, why not? And he said, I won't need one. And, you know, that drove the uh, that drove the news cycle for about maybe 25, 30 minutes. And then something else happened. It's ironic, you know, well, not ironic, just sort of serendipitous, I guess, that he would say such a thing about Iran but then, you know, in the days of his own exit from the White House, uh, it was it became evident that there was some kind of goal, not necessarily a strategy other than to pressure Mike Pence and to send a bunch of people to attack the Capitol <laughs> just to stay in power. But uh, exit strategies or goals, I mean, tactics, I mean, I guess these are some semantics. A, a question, I mean, one, one of the themes that, that you sort of explored as a White House reporter, and, and I feel like you're you've you've kept in it with with some of the the analysis that you've written for CQ and Roll Call, is the phenomenon of the Trump Show, and it's not a glib sort of thing. It is quite literally this is how Trump organizes the world. He sees it as uh, this is a production, uh, and he's quite successful in it uh, in in pushing his his version of the show. Is the fact that the January six committee hearings are so well produced compared to especially the impeachment hearings uh, and, and, the, and the Senate trials, the, the kind of the production values are so good compared to that. Is that one of the things that has him sort of agitated and the people in Trump world sort of agitated in, in your sort of consideration? I think so. They are extremely well done. The committee hired a former ABC News producer to essentially produce these hearings with one exception, they've stayed around two hours. I th- that is very much by design. You know, we have a short attention span. Like I said, the Iran exit strategy question, you know, I made the CNN Chiron, and then 30 minutes later, it was we we're on to something else. And the committee knows that. And they have been very thorough and very methodical, and they have used his own words every hearing. And that has to frustrate him. I think one of the things that definitely frustrates him is, you know, these are people he thought were loyal and he really, he values loyalty. But then at at the first, the first sign someone isn't loyal or or might question him, he'll throw him right overboard. And these are people that he thought were loyal and and it's turning out they're not. And the committee has done a, 
I think, a, as you said, a fabulous job with the production approach and, and, and blending his words and then using what he thought were, were his loyalists, then counterbalancing his words with their testimony. And they'll play a clip or show a tweet or, you know, one of these recorded phone calls will say the Georgia state officials uh, were wise enough to record his pressure phone calls. So they'll play part of that. And then, boom, they've got testimony from Hirschman or, or, or someone else who was in the White House counsel's office. And that knowing the man and studying him like I have, that that must really gall him. And we've seen his office release some of his uh, social media posts that boy took me back to the days of at real Donald Trump before his Twitter account was shut down. Um, you know, admittedly have some PTSD from, from those tweets, seeing his truth social posts, his office sending those out in email form this week. And, and you can tell he's agitated and, and the tweets, we all remember the tweets and you could really tell when he was, when he was fired up and angry back in the day. And those truth social posts, I think they're very telling and, yeah, he's he's struggling with how to counter program such a well-produced operation. And we also have, you know, on the horizon, you know, possible documentary footage uh, that, that that will be coming out in July. So, again, more sort of on the ground type of observations uh, caught in real time. So it, it's it's going to be something that's going to be I mean, the, this this show is going to keep going for a while. Yeah, that's right. My colleague, uh, Brian Karam, who's covered White Houses and other things over the years, we were talking about this documentary footage. This gentleman was kind of embedded with Trump and his family around the time of the riot and after the 2020 election. And, and Brian worked on America's Most Wanted. He worked in television for years. He reminded me the other day, the camera's never really off. So this, this, this filmmaker might just have these candid moments that weren't part of the documentary. It wasn't part of the sit down with Trump or Ivanka or, or Don Jr. But, you know, we could hear the president saying all sorts of things when he's just off to the side and, you know, he's mad at a Chiron on MSNBC. And, you know, we could really hear some explosive stuff I think Brian, you know, I think Brian's onto something there because you, you don't, the camera's just, it's, it's not off. It's always there. And Trump hasn't learned that lesson over the years, which is kind of remarkable for a guy, like you said, who he thinks of his whole life as a television show. And, and that could, that could end up really biting him here. Well, more to come on this, but John, thank you for kind of walking us through your time in the white house and, and sort of describing what the place is like and, and whether, kind of the way that ways that people can hear things <laughs> with uh, just in the in the hallways and and I'm glad you're you know you're editing this coverage for us too because it's it's an invaluable perspective so thank you very much thank you for having me everybody.